They'll sing you a song It won't take long of the fighting 69 They're a band of rape and stout and bold From Ireland they came But they had a leader to the fore Me Corcoran was in name It was on the 12th day of April When the lads they went away they made a sight so glorious that they marched along Broadway. They marched along Broadway, me boys, and straight onto the shore. And from there they went to Washington, straight unto the war. So we gave them a hearty cheer, me boys, which is greeted with a smile. Singing ears to the boys who fear no noise of the fighting 69. I'm your host, Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. This is the voice of the Republic and the Resistance, and that is songs to get your blood stirring, folks. From all of us here at the Republic of Canada, all of us fighting for liberty around the world, my name, Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice, was a gift as well from a great guy, Louis Daniels, a Ojibwe elder in Winnipeg. When he gave me the name Gano Geshewe Gekido, there was another name that went with that, and that's Oti Temtuak. And Oti Temtuak in Metis Cree means the people who own themselves. 
And that quality of owning ourselves manifests always in the will to persist against every evil, the courage and the devotion. As you heard in that song today about the fighting 69th Irish Regiment in the U.S. Civil War, the willingness and the ability to give all, to defend our liberties, our children, our sacred Mother Earth. That's why we're here every week, murderbydecree.com. Follow us, ITCCS updates. Well, of course, today we're carrying on with the struggle that we've been talking about for the last little while, the move by elders across Canada and nine different Indigenous nations to banish and reclaim the genocidal Catholic, Anglican, and United Churches. And that is something that is beginning, commencing Monday, September 11th, in our own renewed common law court trial on the west coast of Canada. And in Vancouver, there will be opening hearings uh, open to anyone with information on the death, especially of 14 people, 14 of our mostly Indigenous brothers and sisters who were killed in the course of bringing out the truth of this genocide. And uh, we're going to talk about that today, especially in an interview we just did recently. I did with Owen Lucas, a brother from Ireland in the Republic Alliance there. We're talking about necessary information you need to go into this public trial that's commencing September 11th. And you can, again, see a lot of the updates about that in the history uh, under murderbydecree.com, ITCCS updates. Also, the archive programs over the last several weeks here have been very informative. So go to bbsradio.com slash stand and just check for the former shows as well. You can also write to me, Kevin Anna Deagle Strong Boys at angelfire101 at protonmail.com. Well, you know, when we talk about banishing and reclaiming these murderous churches, the Catholic, Anglican, and United Churches that killed over 60,000 of our brothers and sisters as little children in these death camps they still falsely call residential schools. When we talk about banishing and reclaiming, there's a whole physical and political aspect of that, of course, under international law and tribal law. These churches don't have the right to operate, and we can lawfully reclaim their buildings, seize their assets and lands, as is happening all over Turtle Island. But the whole bigger aspect of this and deeper aspect is that it's a spiritual reclamation, too. We're banishing this false spirit from our land, the the false Christian spirit that led and continues to lead the, the massacre of so many people, and we're replacing it with an original spirit. Now, of course, our people on both sides of the Atlantic talked about a two-headed serpent that was in the traditions. Uh, Doug and Oweda, the uh, great peacekeeper that established the Six Nations about 100 years before the Europeans arrived, he warned of the coming of what he called a two-headed serpent, that the serpent, a white serpent from the east would come with two heads, two natures. One seemed to be loving and open, and the other was murderous. And the two-headed serpent didn't even know its own nature. And I wrote something recently in one of my, my books. I wrote a book called Land of Liberty about my own Annette family, how we arrived here seven generations ago from England, and my other, my mother's and McCood relatives from Ireland and Scotland, bringing our own indigenous traditions with us. And in this book, The Land of Liberty, I trace one of my ancestors, Philip Annette, who took part in the rebellion that tried to throw out the British crown and its genocidal backers in Rome in the year 1837 in Upper Canada. And this is kind of a part of the dilemma we're facing, the so-called white people looking at our own crimes. Because, as I write, the vast stillness and freedom of the land and its people was a mystery and an affront to the power that invaded from Europe. For where was original sin and the divinely sanctioned war of each man against his neighbor among the native tribes of the Kanadas? 
How is it that they knew nothing of property and kingly rule and lived like Latter-day Adams and Eves? Were they not, in the words of the early French explorer Jacques Cartier, quote, better Christians than we are ourselves? The dangerous example of the New World indigenous people was to the rulers of Europe a mockery and a refutation of Christendom and its vast empires of conquest. And so, like any group of so-called heretics, the brown-skinned strangers were slated for extermination, especially since they held vast, lucrative lands and resources. And so went the thinking and planning, and the small rooms of Rome and Paris and London were a few men ruled over many. But a different impulse ran through Europe in hovels and fields where the poor dreamed of a land of liberty. Families like the Annats flocked to ships that would bear them away from their lineage of hardship and fear, inspired by tales of people who lived in plenty, without kings and popes, without any rulers. And as the new immigrants spread out among the eastern tribes of Turtle Island, far ahead of empire, they lived among the native people in peace. The settlers and indigenous tribes hunted and farmed and ate together and even interbred, enriching one another. By their new life together, they embodied the peace and goodness of the land and the great mystery that needs no name. But tragically, this harmony did not endure. The empire caught up to the settlers and destroyed their new life and their native neighbors with European laws and fences and missionaries, prouding the name of the slain Christ. But the destruction was bred by the settlers as well. Like the creation tale that saturated their thinking, the European settlers harbored a deep bacillus in their Eden. Deep in their longing for peace and equality with others dwelt an opposite spirit, a fear of an invisible and punishing king-like God and of an afterlife spent in eternal torment if that heavenly ruler was disobeyed. Their old world culture had stoked that fear and the settlers' group memory of inquisitorial bonfires. And so through the time-honored weapons of ignorance and fear, crown and pulpit reestablished their grip over many of those who had fled from their power. For the settlers knew from their own suffering the price of defying that empire. But still a remnant of settlers in the Canadas resisted the tide. Knowing they could not outdistance the empire, they chose to stand and fight it. Men like Philip Annett, Samuel Lount, and William Lyon Mackenzie fought for more than political freedom in a new republic. They struggled to recover the dream that had led them to the new land and would return them to Eden. The reason I said that is because we're really speaking to all our peoples. You know, these false divisions used to get us to fight and kill each other. There is no white. There is no native. We know when in the native world now, some of the worst offenders of the tribal council government puppet chiefs who are selling out the resources, who are allowing Chinese to come onto the lands of northern BC and kill off their own people to grab the liquid natural gas. And we know among our own non-Indigenous people, there are those people like me. I guess you could call me the... John Brown of my culture, who took up arms against my own people to fight those we had enslaved. There are those of us who have paid a, paid a great price for doing this. And yet our hope, even though we've lost everything in our lives, our hope resides in the fact that we can unite and take back the land for all people in the Turo Wampum, found in the flag of Republic of Canada, returning the earth and its resources and all of Canada to all of the people, but not a few rulers under this arbitrary murderous thing called the crown authority. So that's the spirit in which we act. And I want to also remind you that as we're heading into this new trial on September 11th, there'll be a lot more information on this show and others, um, other postings at murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates, and also republicofkanata.org, that's K-A-N-A-T-A, 
It means where the people sit as one around the council fire. Republicofkanata.org. Under breaking news, you'll find all of this news here over the next few weeks. But I especially want to highlight one book that we pushed, uh, we put out recently called Crimes Against Humanity in Canada, The Evidence. This is a very important summary of things you'll find in the much larger work, Murder by Decree, at murderbydecree.com. It's condensation of the crime of genocide in Canada and how our movement exposed it and how that movement was crushed by the government and the churches and the RCMP and others and how it's persisting today, how some of us have been targeted, going into the details of how that cover-up is allowing the crime to continue today the ongoing genocide and really on the side aimed at all of us. So get that book. You can get it from me right to angelfire101 at protonmail.com for just write to me, Kevin Hannett, Eagle Strong Voice. You can also get it on amazon.com and uh, put in my name, Kevin Annett, A-N-N-E-T-T. You'll see all my books, but the latest, one of the latest, Crimes Against Humanity in Canada, The Evidence. We're also going to be making oral recordings of that really targeting getting into the schools, getting this into the hands of the next generation. So if you know teachers, you know students who are receptive, this is a grassroots operation, folks. And most importantly, it requires that you go from passive listening to active involvement. What our brother Martin Luther King used to say, go from thin words to thick action, because it's action now is the measure of all things. As we learned, and many of our brothers and sisters who've died, like William Coombs, Bingo Dawson, Ricky Lavalle, I was there when we occupied the churches in downtown Vancouver in 2007 and 8 that forced this truth out for the first time. I saw that they, even though they had nothing in their lives, because maybe they had nothing in their lives, they were able to walk in and face down those priests and cops and make the priests run out the back door. And literally, as we put the truth of their murder in their own face, murder of those children. So we know it works, action on the ground. And we invite all of you to help recover yourself be one of the Ote Pemsewak, the people who own themselves, and find the courage and will, which are now the decisive factors. We know what the problem is. The words, like a big Scrabble game going on in the world. People keep putting words together all the time, but it doesn't really solve the problem. Only action will do that. So write to us, angelfire101 at protonmail.com. And uh, for the next 45 minutes or so, we're going to listen to this interview that uh, a discussion really between Owen Lucas from Ireland and myself about really the meaning of this coming court trial and the bigger ramifications in terms of the, the not only the physical, but the spiritual reclamation and banishment and the recovering of our true selves. So that will be the show for today. We'll be back again live next week. Until then, folks, stay strong, stay clear, carry it on. I thank you. Hi, Owen. Hi. How's things? Things are revving up as September approaches. Okay. Did September the 11th. Did, did you choose September the 11th uh, specifically to uh, coincide? Well, as a matter of fact, you know, yes, but um, it's a Monday. It's the start of the, the whole academic year and everything, so it was for that reason too. But, you know, September 11th has significance beyond 9-11 in New York in 2001 because it was the date, it was interesting, the convergence of all these things, because it was the date in 1973 when the Allende government in Chile was overthrown by that U.S.-backed military coup. And as a young boy, I was 17, I remember all of these Chilean refugees flooding into Vancouver with these amazing stories of having worked on the ground to try to, you know, democratize the economy, to, to bring in a real, more of an egalitarian society, right? 
and how it just ruthlessly crushed. And it had such an impact on me then. It, it kind of propelled me into politics uh, for the first time. And, um, you know, in a big way, it kind of committed my life after that because I was thinking all the time, you know, these pe people gave their lives to try to make it a, a just society for everyone. And, uh, you know, it kind of sparked the same thing in me. So for me personally, it, it, the date's significant, but especially in relation to the issue, which has to do with, you know, the not so much the crime of the genocide as the, the crime of the cover-up and the murder of some of these people. There were 15 people named, uh, we can talk about this, in that notice that went out announcing the formation of the West Coast Common Law Court of Justice, which is affiliated to the ITCCS. And there's really two phases. They're, they're opening on September 11th with a series of closed hearings. So what we, they've, we've done is we've sent out a notice to the police, to the uh, people in the churches, to anyone who might be a witness who has inside information about the murder of people like William Coombs, uh, Harriet Nahani, other people who were killed in police custody after helping us to uh, occupy these Catholic Anglican United Churches that committed the mass murder of so many Native children. And so um, we're putting out that offer. We're going to have these hearings. People with testimony can come and give that testimony. And then uh, soon after that, the, the actual court trial will convene. And we've got um, defendants lined up. We've got people bringing their own cases of uh, how they were targeted by this campaign that really it, it, it was designed to crush our whole movement to bring out this truth of not only genocide in the past, but how it's still going on now. So it's a very exciting kind of uh, opening again for a lot of reasons. And, uh, and just a final note on that, it's also part of that reclamation program. Uh, the, the, if you're a member of the last year or so, indigenous elders have been banishing these churches from their land and saying we have the right to seize these properties and assets, as everybody does. It isn't just a native thing. Anybody in the world can seize the assets and the properties of these criminal bodies. And, uh, you know, I heard that there are some people in England, I'm having a call with some of them tomorrow, uh, wanting to do the same thing uh, where you are. So it's really that part of that our whole global movement of reclamation, you know, banishing the criminals and, and taking over, you know, their ill-gotten gains, right? It's, uh, it's it's gathering momentum. You can really feel it. It's, it's palpable. So yeah. two things you, you just broached on there. One is that into this court case, September the 11th, uh, a, lo a lot of different and varied cases, um, crimes are, are going to be uh, on trial. And so you're looking to um, invite people who have been, in inverted commas, involved with the criminal authorities, the Transnational Criminal Organization, TNCOs, to come in and uh, rat, for want of a better word, to um, to divulge information on fr from the inside. And, and that will therefore give them um, indemnity from right. any... Uh, complicity that they themselves prosecution. have. Like in any court case, uh, rewards and immunity from prosecution are offered anyone with information related to two big issues. First of all, the murder of these people. We listed in the notice that I think you posted uh, 15 people who either have had their lives destroyed or been actually killed. Most of them native, but some of them are people as well. Uh, we go into my case of how the, the main target for so many years was my life, my family, my livability and that.
in order to kind of knock off the spearhead of this movement. And the way that the church and the RCMP and others tried to do that is very illuminating because it shows how, not only how they operate, but the extent of the crime and the criminals involved. So, um, so for, we're making an appeal to people uh, in these in these institutions, but also the fact that China is the big actor here, and we have more and more evidence pouring in all the time of the way that Chinese death squads are operating all over British Columbia, driving native people and others off their land, and uh, you know to get the liquid natural gas and others. We've talked about that before, but there's there's more people coming now. It's hit kind of a critical mass. I was just talking to a former uh, RCMP officer, a native man, who um, was just regaling me with all of this incredible evidence about how the RCMP operates uh, hand in glove with the Hells Angels in drug dealing and arms trafficking. And he says there's people willing to talk, but they need immunity, they need protection. So this is part of the thing that was prompting what we're doing, right? The second part I was was, going to follow up on was you were talking about reclaiming the the church's property because the church is a, a criminal institution uh transnational criminal organization uh connected with china too i i think it'd be interesting for you for you to speak on but that would i, I was we spoke yesterday at, at uh a meeting uh, online and I, I while editing it i looked at the the expropriation warrant so so all this uh formal documentation and um grave and, and serious uh verdicts tie hand in hand with this swelling of of numbers and so at the same time as there's this land grab by the global tyranny via china um as as they're um working uh Hidden hand, if you like. Well, not hidden hand so much anymore. It's not so covert. It's, it's much more overt, as you're saying, that the, the witnesses are, are clearly in, in knowledge of it. But at the same time, there's, there's this expropriation warrant that's doing the rounds, as, as well as, you know, it's, it's almost um, two sides of, of the same coin, right? right? We're, we're putting in, we're giving legal body to something that's been around for a long time. And look it up in Magna Carta, Section 61. You know, this is a document from 1215, uh, almost a thousand years ago, basis of English common law in many ways, at least the court aspect of it. And uh, it says in Section 61, if the king harms the rights of the citizens, they don't call them citizens, but, you know, the people, the subjects, everything is forfeited except the king, everything except the king's uh, life and the life of his family can be seized lawfully, his properties, his castles, his lands. So in other words, since everything's under, quote, crown, uh, authority in their system. The whole ball of wax can be seized by anybody in a Commonwealth country because, you know, the proof that the, the crown was involved in destroying people's lives, genocide, you know, the whole bit. It's it's a it's a fact now under law. It's uncontested fact. When when these people who like Elizabeth Windsor when she's charged, or Charles Mountbatten Windsor, you know, they're charged and they don't respond, it's uncontested. It means it's a fact under the law. And so it's all forfeited. All we have to do is apply Magna Carta. And so that's all totally lawful. And if the courts don't go along with it, they're aiding and abetting a crime and they're nullified their authority. So it's an open door for us now. And it's a matter of the will now and the knowledge and the will to walk through that door. And that's what we're, we're trying to spark again with this court case, right? And it's happening in uh, North America where you are. Uh, we had a chat with Georgina uh, yesterday who 
again, ties in with the template of how they attempt to silence people. Your, your six uh, friends uh, who, who are on that email you just sent, uh, similarly, there's, there's a correlation. Yourself and, and myself, we, we also uh, right. uh, are living, breathing evidence of, of how they go about it. And, and the, um, <clears throat> the, the aspect of uh, silencing and, and nullifying will, will be part of this court case in September as well. Well, it, yes, because it gives tremendous support to the whole reclamation action. Uh, when, when people say, you know, what, by what right are you here in the church? We just hold up the docket of evidence in the court case saying, here's how not only did they wipe out 60,000 children over a century, here's how they destroyed people who tried bringing it out. Like Herod Nahani there, this native uh, elder, she, was, uh, she and I headed the movement really in 1998. She and I started the original campaign. And she was involved in blocking a highway through her territory. The police grab her in February. It was in January 2007. They lock her away in an unheated prison, let her out, and she's dead within a month of, quote, lung cancer, right? And uh, it was obviously induced. We know William Coombs' story. Johnny Bingo Dawson beaten to death by Vancouver police, witnessed by Ricky Lavalley. He was also beaten to death. Um, you know, it goes on and on. There's a whole list. Of, you know, you can see the list in the, the email of all the people who were targeted. So we're saying, here's the evidence of how they're killing people now who are bringing out this truth. This is how the genocide continues, because they've got to wipe out the witnesses and attack anyone opposing it. And uh, that's an ongoing crime, just as serious as what happened 50, 100 years ago in these death camps called rest schools. And, uh, and so that's going to be, you know, they, we're working with the elders closely. As a matter of fact, they've already provided... Uh, said they're going to provide security. Some of their, uh, the native youth movement and some of the peacekeepers are going to be present at the court providing security there. So we're going to make this very public um, and invite in the public. And just that's our strength, you know, like whenever, and I'd say to you or anyone doing these things, wherever you are, do the planning in secrecy. But when you strike, do it like Sun Tzu says, strike quickly uh, where the enemy is weak and make it very visible and very public because that's our strength, numbers and public exposure, right? And the correlations are global. Uh, we were yeah. speaking with Georgina last night, so the, how the, uh, the whistleblowers are, are silenced is, is a global template. Uh, you, you mentioned that in the UK now, churches are being expropriated as they are in North America, and as uh, Georgina was, was attempting in Australia, but also yeah. with the 60,000 uh, children residential schools death, death camps in North America. Uh, from last night's conversation with Georgina, I've been looking at today, the stolen generation and you know the correlation is absolutely stark that this this tyrannical historical ancient history uh attack murderous assault on particularly children is an obvious template to to observe once once you scratch the surface yeah. a little bit and and have a good look at it so you know i i'm an optimist at heart but i'm very excited that that all this is now coming together uh, we the people globally. Well, yeah, and you know, it, it's like anything, Owen. When this stuff, the good stuff starts rising, the bad stuff rises at the same level and tr trying to crush it. I mean, so it isn't all um, peaches and cream. We expect, and we've already experienced threats. We've had, I, I'll give you an example of this. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this on our call, but I was to meet one of these elders in Vancouver, and at the spot where she was supposed to be, 
she kept saying she was there. She wasn't there at all. And as I was talking to her on the phone, two cop cars come up right behind me with lights flashing. And they drop, I thought, okay, here it is. They're going to arrest me. They jumped out and walked over to where I had just been standing and were looking around. Obviously, they're looking for me. So I make a quick right up the alley and I'm out of there. Right. So they had traced our call and they zeroed in on our call and were going to just grab me on some bogus charge. So that happened like three days ago. And I was down in the downtown east side putting up these posters. We're telling everyone on the street. And the best place to find witnesses is right on the street. All these native people, homeless natives, they've got an amazing network. They all feed each other. They work in kind of an underground economy. They have all the on the ground knowledge. They've got eyes and ears everywhere. And they're the best eyewitnesses. The cops know that. So as soon as I start poking around there, saying, look, you can, you can, there's rewards and immunity if you start telling what you know. They get really worried when I'm down there, and they. The, so this is an example of how they counterattack all the time, right? And back to that brilliant quote in, in uh, the Common Law Training Manual, Joe McGuinness. You know, once these courts start getting yeah. uh, publicized and word gets around amongst the the uniformed uh, authority goons, uh, yeah. they, they start losing their nerve, right? So it feels to me this is where we are. I, I remember, you know, they, as, as we spoke about last night, they, they, uh, uh, they came and got, got me. They, they hurled me into, a, a cubicle for six weeks in, in Swansea jail, uh, for nothing more than a, a Facebook comment. And, and the idea of that, I remember during the, the whole six weeks in there, there was, there was a lot of, uh, attempted intimidation tactics. The idea was to, Right. to throw me off the the scent right to to stop me right. uh on the on the tack that I, I was following in terms of you know exposure and and uh trying to trying to get justice particularly for, for from my parenting perspective for my three boys but i i remember distinctly and and i'd be interested in your uh experiences if if you've got some too similarly that the, the the jailers the you know the guys with the keys who would lock the doors in the evenings they weren't, they weren't comfortable about it. You know, I, I was a misfit there. I, I, I didn't really seem like your regular, uh, Swansea prison inmate. And, and that, that made them feel uncomfortable. You didn't say it, of course, yeah. but, but the, the atmosphere around them was, oh, uh, this, there's something not quite right going on here. And, and where do I, as, you know, a coalface frontline, operator where do i find okay i'm just following orders so that's fine you know it 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 covers my responsibility on it but if if these uh claims of rights these court cases uh the momentum and the exposure continues then then those guys at the base of the pyramid the the low down uh regular cops prison guards uh court attendees court staff they're going to start backing off. Do you do you predict that, or you're noticing that? Well, is, is that a fair not spon- They will inside, but the only way that translates into action is if there's an alternative for them. And this is the missing element all the time. We can't just make moral appeals to people in the system. It doesn't go far because they've got to pay the rent. They've got you know their pension. They've got kids to raise. How do you appeal to that? You say, okay, they're almost like sleeper cells for now. You plant the idea, and they're on board. But then you say, look, we're creating a new jurisdiction. It's outside crown jurisdiction. One day we'll have the power to act on this. We need to deputize you now. We did this. this it worked at our church occupations. I said exactly that to the police. You've got to support what we're doing and not protect the Catholic Church because they've got a policy of trafficking children and not telling the police about it. 
right? You're aiding and abetting a criminal conspiracy if you protect these churches. And the cops know that, and that's why they stood back every time. Well, that's power. We made them stand back. That's why we did the church occupations unmolested by the police, because they knew we were in the right. We had filed documents in court, and they know. So they, they it was a passive support. Eventually, it'll be active support, but only if we've got these these other jurisdictions in place, the Republic, common law assemblies, deputize them, make them police. That's why we need the long-term vision of uh, not just thinking theoretically, but operationally. How do we operationally set up an alternative for people? That's got to be in the forefront of everything we talk about all the time, um, you know, because that's how we're going to create the revolution on the ground, right? Right, and when you when you mention that word revolution, you know, history is is the place to to look. So you get, yeah. we've been talking a lot recently about this, the 1640s. So you got the Levellers, who were a group of activists, agitators, but then that transmuted into a, a body of force, the, the the New Model Army. Correct, correct me right. if I've gone wrong there. And and yeah. similarly with the with the USA uh, War of Independence, we mentioned that last night too. So they attempted the authorities, the the Redcoats, the 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 British Crown tried to take the guns, weapons from yeah. the people, we the people, and and that signified the the escalation, the right. the crux, the uh, the flashpoint that that led to the Bill of Rights and and the uh, the independence. So, how how does it escalate to that that body of strength where where we the people come together to create that? strong force that lets the the court well, staff right. the the jailers and the and the cops think to themselves shit i'm i'm pulling back i'm right. out of this one it, you know they call a situation of dual power they call it you know every and we we need to make studies of these revolutions the the english the french the american and the russian revolutions and the and in ireland the same thing happened in each revolution and if you get beyond the labels of ideology and look at the process you know, you had the people rising up, spontaneously creating their own new organs of power, new model army, um, the the the, uh, the Paris Commune, and the the local assemblies in the districts of Paris, uh, the sans culotte they called them, the poor people who created their own, you know, took back power, the Soviets in the Russian Revolution, and the, the committees of correspondence in America. They were all saying, "We the people can govern ourselves directly." But then over here, you got the old establishment beginning to crumble and there's this fight going on dual power fight and the russian revolution was the best example of that and uh the reason the people won out initially was because the bolsheviks had this idea that they had the slogan all power to the soviets not to the old crumbling government which the other socialist parties were saying well let's negotiate with them let's have a kind of limited monarchy you know they're all playing political games the bolsheviks read the mood of the masses and the soldiers and the peasants and they said all power to you guys, soldiers' committees, peasants' committees, workers' committees, take power yourself. That's why the revolution won. And so we got to do the same thing. And now here's the, here's the, the real art here, Owen. Most people who, quote, are awake are not even thinking in these terms. They're thinking very much in the, the terms of the template of the system. They haven't broken from the way the system works yet. The way to get that, I mentioned going down on the street, you go among the people and people are spontaneously thinking these terms all over now. It's exciting to watch. People are all coming to the same idea in Ireland, in Canada, all over, in America, England. It's like the system is crumbling. We need to create something different. But we're I using the old models. You know, we're looking at the past for the old models. We have to create new ones all the time, right? I agree. The, the zeitgeist is buzzing. And, and I think there's a potential that the 
the authorities, you know, especially these days with with the the technology, you know, the surveillance, the the reconnaissance with with the the, the IT, the the, the technology, you know, telephones and TVs and Wi-Fi's and all this, they 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 know exactly the pulse of the people, and and it feels very much to me like they're thinking ahead and that they know that the momentum has has reached a critical mass and and it's coming what's coming is coming and they're they're preparing already like i've i've mentioned a few times before recently that they, they've got the pipe pipers uh being installed now into yeah. place yeah to to lead the people where they want them so they can play both sides of the chess game you know lots and lots of metaphors we we can, we can talk about this but you mentioned ireland uh 1920s when it all turned around here the the Free State Army that arrived after the independence was basically the crown, you know, like a marionette puppet, uh, operating so that the people who believed from a superficial level that the problem was a, a race of people called the English, and once you kick yeah. out the English, there will be creams and peaches or better roses, whatever you, you want to say on that, yeah. uh, were, were deluded. There was a, a disillusionment because... What was really going on was it was a, a, a much more deeper cultural problem that was right. uh, presenting itself after the crown officially left. The crown then funded and sponsored uh, Irish people Should to do change. the dirty work for uh, them. Yeah, the, 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 gave artillery to the free state government to bombard the Sinn Féin and destroy the IRA, yeah. Okay, so the, so the Irish um, capitalists is perhaps an interesting way to say it, but the Free State Army, they basically did the dirty work for the Crown. The Crown moved aside. They realised that Ireland had united right. uh, against the Crown, so they then needed to divide Ireland again, and they they sponsored the Free Staters to attack and kill the Republicans as they had been doing just a couple of years before. Well, because, because the IRA and the Sinn Féin were uh, a very much a working class movement, very socialist. Uh, uh, one of the leaders of Sinn Féin is James Connolly, who founded really the socialist movement. He was a trade unionist in Dublin, and he founded the socialist movement. That we need a workers' republic where the workers and the farmland, they own the country. One of the founding statements, like in the Republic of Canada, founding statement of Sinn Féin, the IRA, was that all land and all resources belong in the hands of the people collectively, that no one individual, no group can own the land and its wealth. It's got to be shared collectively. That's a socialist, you know, kind of egalitarian vision. And that's one of the reasons that they went after Sinn Féin so badly, because the, the, the Irish landowners and capitalists and the English behind them were terrified of that. And so, you know, that, that's the same story. If the people are rising up, all of the people, right, um, then that, that can't be controlled. But you can control puppet leaders. You know, the, the system can very easily. Became became very philosophical very quickly, right? Uh, do do you want Ireland to to keep going as it always has done, but just without the crown officially uh, doing it to with the people, or, or do you want a wholesale paradigm shift in terms of uh, you know a philosophical reboot, and you know instead of people owning land as as the uh, native people say the land owns the people this this is uh, a, a, a real big upheaval for for you could talk about classes right that the middle classes will have a completely different uh, stance oh, yeah. on this than well i found that you know in uh, over the last 
number of years, I've been meeting with people all over Canada, Canada. And it's funny, when I was meeting with a group of farmers in southern Ontario, and they were very upset about stuff they saw in the program of the Republic of Canada saying, well, the land is collectively owned by all the people. And we have to be in consultation with the original inhabitants, the native people, to figure out how we want to use the land. And this one farmer who was very aware and progressive on that issue said, I'm not going to have some Indian tell me how I can grow my crops. Right. And, you know, is that immediately pitting people against each other? And I said, look, they're not the enemy. Like who owns the land ultimately? You know, the, the crown claims to, but they're a fiction. When we take it back, it's got to be in the interest of everyone. Like uh, you need local um, committees to decide what's to be grown, how the land's to be used. It isn't just in the hand of one person. So small owners, you know, uh, are find that hard to get out of that, that you know, private notion of, of reality. And that's, anyway, we're, it, it's all relevant because you find, like you say, in the indigenous world, they're, they're clashing all the time with their own chiefs who have become, you know, big capitalists, uh, you know, owning their own logging companies, logging off the last of the old growth on Vancouver Island. That's done by native capitalists, right? And they're selling, they signed over $25 billion in agreements with China, the native chiefs to sign off, sell off the oil and gas. So you got that class division in every culture, native or white, right? And, and it highlights perfectly the, the fact that, you know, it's, it's nothing to do with race, right? That, that the, no. the, the native people have bad eggs amongst them that will sell out and betray, you know, their, their own people, just as happened in Ireland, Wales, England, you know, Italy, going back to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is, this is a t- another template throughout, throughout history. But this, going back to the court case, September the 11th, then, yeah. You know, this this is about individual uh, crimes and uh, stopping harm being done. Do no harm is is the basis of of lawful remedy, right? So instead of trying to instill you know a, a new philosophy and and a whole new paradigm shift of you know belief system, basically as we've been talking about, you know, the, the Soviets and and uh, you know the, the Irish um, uh, Sinn Fein group, this kind of thing. Is it best to keep it simple and and just have effective and wholesome court system via common law assemblies that look at crimes being done and then open up the the floor, so to speak, so that how culture and how society uh, develops and evolves is is a very organic and um, natural thing, as opposed to it being directed by you know, a, a philosophy or or a, or a belief system. Well, yeah, no, it's not so much a, a philosophy. It, it comes over. It's not like some people imposing a philosophical view on others. This arises naturally among people anyway. It's like, hey, how come one guy there has billions of dollars and we're, you know, there's eight, eight million uh, poor people in Canada, right? I mean, people naturally think in those, if you want to call them a socialistic terms of, of collectivity and not one guy profiting at the expense of many. People are naturally there. The question is, are we going to draw conclusions from uh, from the situation? Say to people, look, it's not enough to put these people on trial. We have to expropriate their wealth. We have to take back you know, the, these, the, the land and everything for everyone. And that's really at the heart of what's guiding a lot of the people doing this court case, right? So let's let's go at it from, from a, let's look at it from an economic financial perspective. Let's say, best case scenario, that, the Catholic Church, Rome, the Vatican topples, and that you know vast uh, quantity of, of wealth 
then is you know f- as, as, a, as a phrase freed up it's it's available for we the people to to divvy out amongst everybody is is that a a really good incentive to invite people to get on board with the movement well in a short-term sense absolutely it is because you know what what one of the big motive forces of the reformation in england was a lot of these landowners said oh the catholic church owns a third of the land and we can get it yeah let's nationalize the monasteries let's that's why henry the eighth did it was partly financial so it's like nullifying taxes to the federal government that's a real drawing card a lot of town councils like that idea mayors have endorsed that they've nullified their oath to the crown and everything that process has already started you can get people initially in on the basis of apparent self-interest but then in the course of a struggle you know i love that quote that says people don't make revolutions revolutions make people they make revolutionaries because as you get involved in a struggle in one issue suddenly it blossoms out and you realize hey wait a minute my ideas have changed about this i've met these people like we've all evolved you know, in the way we look at Abraham Lincoln started the Civil War to retain slavery. He said, yeah, let's keep slavery. We just don't want you guys breaking up the Union. But halfway through the war, he's the Emancipation Proclamation. He's freeing slaves and people are talking about giving them civil rights and, and um, 40 acres and a mule, they say, hand over all the slave owners land to the slaves themselves. They're all talking about there's this revolution that starts. So nothing ever is ever static. It evolves and changes all the time. That's the nature of the universe. Change and conflict are, are inherent. So we have to ride that and help guide that. You know, and when you said earlier the the, 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 the so-called people in charge know what's going on, they do only in a very informational sense. On the ground, they have no idea what's going on because right. um, it's a different culture. It's, it's like native chiefs pretending they represent native people. They don't because they don't even know the situation of the people. We have the, the ear of the people much closer because we're, we're on the ground. We're in the lower level of the Titanic. We see that it's sinking. The people in first class are living in illusions. So, I mean, that's really the, the situation on the ground, right? Back to the, the expropriation warrant where you know, the, the transnational criminal organizations have to hand over their wealth to with the people. I, I remember back in, in 2008 when that uh, economic crash what they call it, the credit crunch or whatever it was, the, the tax purse funded, gifted the, the bankers. So, you know, people talk about the trickle-down system, right? It's, it's the vacuum-up system. And and so right. I think it was, was it 100 billion, 80 perhaps, 80, you know, a lot of billion dollars yeah, all over the world went from we the people, the tax purse, to the banks to prevent the, you know, the bailout was the phrase, right, to, to prevent the collapse of the banks. And I remember there was a really convincing uh, round-robin email at the time, which I really read a few times. I was fascinated by it, which said that if we, you know, went to the grassroots and as a metaphor, you know, irrigation, the current sea, the current, you you water the plants at the roots and, and you give everybody, instead of giving the banks, whatever it was, 100 billion, uh, 50,000 I think every individual from that, instead of giving it in one place, everybody individually, every adult had, was given, was gifted that $50,000, then that would have oiled the cogs of the economy far more effectively and uh, and officially. And and, and so as we're talking about... economics, yeah. Right. As we're talking about the... um, the reclamation and, and the expropriation warrant, you know, that that comes starkly into, into mind that 
you know, everybody could, we, we could perhaps put a figure on it and say, look, you know, once we topple the Catholic Church, transnational criminal organization, then everybody gets 50 grand or whatever it is, you know, in the real world. This is what it'd be a lot more than that. You think it'd be a lot more than 50,000 each. No, but news the flash, point is, ladies and gentlemen, newsflash, much more than 50 grand. <laughs> because this oh is the God. practicalities, right? If you want to motivate well, people without, you know, the mindset of, of capitalist people that we're in at the moment, money money gets people interested, right? Yeah, but that, here's the problem. I've seen on the ground what happens when you hand money to people. In the present mindset and system we've all been raised in, there's the old saying is, if you redistributed all the wealth of the world today, in another year it would be back in the same old hands. Because who controls? It's not a matter of money. It's a matter of control and how people view that control. Um, there was an infamous case the, in Hobima, Alberta. The Cree Indians there, uh, they found oil on their land in northern Alberta. And they all got dividends. They all got, uh, this was back in the late 90s and early part of the century. And everyone, got, every family, native family in reserve, got a dividend of $38,000. And they said, oh, boy, guess what happened? Within about two years, there was, they were all in worse conditions because everyone went out and went on a, a spending splurge. And all the organized crime and the native crime gang said, hey, great. They all came in. Crack and drugs were introduced for the first time. And the chiefs all made it rich. And everyone was just as poor off, except now you got crime and drugs operating on the reserve. And they're just as messed up. It's like when you give money, uh, you know, healing fund money to people in return for, you know, for not suing the churches. They're just worse off than before. So it's not about money. It's about changing the system so that you don't need money, so that things can be owned collectively and you develop a new ethos among people that it's not about me. It's about all of us. How do we take care of each other and Mother Earth? Evolving yeah. beyond that, this whole corrupt system, right? So, I mean, that's when you hear Native elders speak, that's what they always talk about. Yeah, there was that like famous Zapatista. There was a, that famous Zapatista slogan from the 90s and during the Zapatista uprising that said they were writing this all over the walls in southern Mexico. It's, they said, we don't want money. We don't want power. We want a new world. And that, to me, sums up that that's what a revolution is. You're not reinventing you know, the past. You're trying to create something new coming from our own innate awareness of what we need. It, it makes me think of a, a great quote from Jim Carrey, who I think is from your neck of the woods. Uh, he said, I, I wish all the people of the world that they get everything beyond their wildest dreams. Because when, when you get everything beyond your wild, wildest dreams, you, you realize it doesn't make you happy. And, and no, right. you know, that's, that's exactly the same point, right? That, you know, perhaps we need people to, <laughs> it's, it's like the lottery winners, right? The people who win the lottery. They they think it's fantastic news that what's happened, but like you say, within within no. two years they tend to have yeah. been it doesn't money, in a massive depression state, right? They they, money, they can't trust can't, people around them. They don't they don't believe in the motivations of their friends and family. It's 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 a right. it's a false. The Beatles that money can't buy you love, but the point is speaking of the Zapatistas in in Mexico. I tell you, the only place I've ever been in the world, and I'm not trying to romanticize these people, but it was the only place. I saw people genuinely happy and loving and supporting each other in a big sense. And that was in the Mayan refugee camps in Chiapas in southern Mexico in the summer of 1987 when I went there. These people were destitute, but they had that indigenous understanding that you live to serve each other. So everyone's serving everybody else. They said uh, the selfish people have all left. Our real leaders are the poorest among us because they spend the day helping the people, just working for each other. And they were more coherent. They were Kids were dying every day from 
all these diseases, malnutrition, typhus, the whole bit. And yet they were the most solid people I've ever met. And I came back to Canada and I felt barren. I felt like I was in a dead zone. I still do because nobody has that kind of love and solidarity among each other. They don't fight for the higher cause or purpose. And we're the ones who are poor. You can have all the money in the world, in the world but you're poor if you don't have that spirit that cooperative spirit with each other. And that's what we're trying to instigate by this, kind of the, the bigger agenda, I would say. Yeah, I've seen it really starkly myself just over the last 12 yeah. months, right? So when yeah. I arrived in Ireland, I, I, basically I didn't have a bean, you know, it's, it's not a penny. I was, I was really, um, yeah. you know, I was scared. I was scared because of my lack of, of money, right? But yeah. that, that following six, seven months up until uh, the new year, was was a fabulous fabulous time for me because i was i was on this program where i was i was working the land you know i was out in nature getting uh getting good exercise meeting really lovely people there was that team collective uh vibe community that that were doing the same thing so it, it was a, it was a fabulous fabulous time and i and i i was very very poor then i got this teaching job in january and i was back into that 9 to 5 rat race yeah. uh, hamster wheel yeah. existence you know with with the greatest uh, respect and and uh, goodwill towards my my colleagues and my my students i was i was waking up in the morning and i was thinking ah oh, i'm on i'm on somebody else's agenda and somebody else's time mm-hmm. and i haven't yeah. got that that uh, lovely in a sense of, of freedom that i've been enjoying yeah. for the last yeah. 7 months without uh, having to worry about the, the financial side of life and so now uh, I'm, I'm getting back to the, the woofing program. I'm, I'm going to get back to there's there's a theatre up in the, in the north of Ireland. I'm talking about your your oh, yeah. uh, play, um, oh, cool. the land of no one. That, that I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to, to getting to now. But it, but it, like like you're saying about the Zapatistas and, and your experiences uh, in 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 the south of uh, well the Central America, it's it's the same. You know that camaraderie yeah. and that. Uh, nurturing environment of of people all on the same level and and not uh on on different rungs of the ladder because of position and and money it's, it, i agree it's a, it's a much healthier yeah. uh environment well you mentioned a few things i know we're got i wanted to keep this yeah, about 45 sure. 50 minutes but i wanted One to plug minute. a few things related to everything we're talking about you mentioned the land of no one play i just published my second play Judging for ourselves, this is about my ancestor, Peter Annett, who was a philosopher in England, a free-thinking agitator in the streets of London who got thrown in, in Bridewell wow. Prison when he was 70 for challenging the Church of England, and, and he was a deist, uh, saying reason is God, uh, challenging religious uh, presumption and, and dogma, and they threw him in prison. So it's kind of like his time in prison and him speaking. Um and we're working on getting that produced. And also everything we've talked about with the court case, a lot of the evidence and the direction is found in this book just came out. It's a summary of the crime, the cover up, and you know, the ongoing crime in our efforts. And is that po- book to be used in, in the court case? Is, is that book Well, some of it a lot it, it's kind of the template. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it looks into you know, the whole campaign to shut down what we did and and how it's rising up again despite that. So that's the second book. The third one I wrote um, called Recovering the Dream, The Promise of Revolutionary Socialism and Prospects for Its Birth. And I love this picture. <laughs> There's uh, Lenin sweeping away from the word. In Russian, it says, uh, 
Comrade London sweeps away the filth of the world, and there's bankers, priests, and kings. Um, but I mean, I, I don't mean this in a dogmatic political sense, but the vision that we've been talking about, what happened to that whole movement? How is it arising again? Because there's a real revival of this whole egalitarian movement all over the world. And so it's kind of drawing on 50 years, like I mentioned at the start of the show, the September 11th, 1973 military coup that propelled me into politics and the whole socialist movement, <coughs> you know, how it's carrying on today. So I wanted to remind folks of that and to follow murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates, because that's where we're going to be posting all the news of the court. And we hope to broadcast it live, simulcast. Maybe we can set that up. Oh, yeah, fantastic, sure. Yeah, the the, 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 Jenga, the Jenga Tower is... is wobbling uh, fast now it's, it's, it's really you can you can feel the uh, the dam cracking and, and, and breaking brilliant thanks Kevin. we'll stop now we'll, we'll get it get it under 50 uh great thanks talk. owen it's it's an exciting time and i look forward to talking to you all soon thanks a yeah. lot